0: You will imitate something. Imitation is inevitable. All right. It's an uncomfortable fact. So the question is, what or whom are you imitating?
1: Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse.
0: And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister.
1: And Cameron, today we're going to be talking about Merriam-Webster's Word of the Year, which some years it's entertaining, some years it's eyeball rolling, and this one maybe is somewhere in between. But I've long had a fond memories of Merriam-Webster's word of the year because I used to play a fun game with an old office mate of mine um, using Merriam-Webster's word of the day. So the way that this would work is each morning, we would get to our offices, you know, get settled in, and then we would look it up. And then we would try to use the word of the day in a telephone conversation with somebody. And so, you know, so two of us in the office, so clearly you can hear what the other person's saying mm-hmm. on the phone. And this was, you know, I thought it was great fun, but it was a little difficult to work the word pachydermatist or philoprogenitive or something like that into a normal uh, sentence at times. But, and then we kind of got points on, you know, whether or not you could pull it off in a casual way in a sentence on the phone. So uh, I I guess all that to say is I am somebody who enjoys words and playing with words, but anxious to hear your thoughts on this year's word of the year, according to Merriam (coughs) Webster. Highly, um, Sought afterward for definition and the word is this get ready the word is authenticity mm. and it surprised me a little bit because i thought authenticity was I, like i knew it was a buzzword but i thought it sort of had its heyday but now it's back I, there's some reasons for that but i mean what are your first thoughts surprised you or not
0: surprised me on um, the same reason for you as as you i thought authenticity haven't we been there done that been hearing about that for years Mm -hmm. I suppose it makes sense because you have a time, I mean, this is a time where there's massive institutional distrust and you've seen a lot of corruption in all sectors of society. So it makes sense that a lot of people would want authenticity and sincerity and would be looking for integrity in people. So, but at the same time, there's an irony that hangs over this because you just think about all of the different brands, all of the different companies who cynically want to use this word to exploit people. So yeah, I think there's, I think it's understandable. I was a bit surprised. I also think there's a bit of irony mixed in here.
1: Yep. So, so the reason, so some of what I read on it is that authentic or authenticity actually does have, quite a wide range of definitions. And that's part of the reason that when people start to think about it, they look it up. Um, but obviously a lot of this was driven this year by the development of AI, artificial intelligence algorithms, or, you -hmm. know, chat GBT, I think in particular, in particular of trying to decide what's actually real. And that is the first and most common use of the word authentic or authenticity is, um, Real slash not false or an imitation and so at a point where people you know you know an algorithm can write an essay for you or generate a picture or a deep fake video or something like that, certainly I think it's a good sign that we're once again curious about what's real and what's not an imitation so on the superficial level I would say this is um, yeah a good sign that people are starting to kind of push back against what I would consider to be fake and falsehoods. Although some people would say maybe this is just the new reality is generated in this way. So there's that authenticity side. It's just real. It's not fake. But then, so, and we can pursue that if we want to on the, on the technology front. Um, Mm -hmm. and there are a couple of those, like, you know, so the idea of Twitter or X formerly known as Twitter now charging people to have an authenticated account, uh, so you're sure this is really who it is. You have social media trends where people, uh, I think like the hashtag be real, where they're encouraging people to post photos of themselves that aren't doctored or aren't filtered. You don't you don't put a beauty filter on your mm-hmm. photo. You're just saying, this is what I actually look mm-hmm. like. So that's one level of authenticity when you say, what's real? what's not false? What's, yeah, not false and not an imitation of something else. So there's that. Then the other boost in authenticity, is connected to more like a Taylor Swift type performer of celebrities who people feel like they are authentic or they're speaking about things that actually match their lives or encouraging them to be their true selves. So if definition one of authentic or authenticity is about being real, the second one is about being true to oneself, one's personality, one's character or one's spirit. And, um, take that for what it is but i think that also summarizes Mm -hmm. our time of what it means to be authentic is to be true to your self and your own being unique just like everyone else so i don't know can you kind of make can you help me think of examples or do you see how that split could be there where one is like here's what's not false but then here also is like being true to yourself those sort of seem like they're Mm
0: -hmm. in
1: some tension with each other which would lend credence to the breadth of the use of the word authentic
0: i mean i think The one that makes the most sense to me involves, yes, the development of, well, I mean, the proliferation now of AI technology, because I hear more and more people say, I have the distinct feeling I'm not talking to a person when Mm -hmm. they're in an online Mm -hmm. chat or something like that. I hear more and more teachers saying, you wouldn't believe the number of essays that I get that are clearly chat GPT, something like that. And so that leads to, again, I've mentioned this before, this this tends to lead to a diminishment of humanity in some sense. And it makes us feel more lonely. And it's just creepy. I mean, you just want, so <laughs> there's a sense in which you really, you're just longing for actual human contact. And that's a weird thing to say right now. But yes, and also I think it makes perfectly sense, it ma- makes a lot of sense when you think about the social media landscape where you you can put out a persona more effectively than than people have been able to before and you can curate that image and there is a trend it's true in social media now to highlight you know the dirty laundry on the floor what you look like without makeup or when you first wake up in the morning and all of that and this is done ostensibly in the name of authenticity now i want to Step aside for a second, Nathan, and point out again that this is still a kind of social performance.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You still you're still doing this for an audience. In your actual day to day life, you don't n- usually have an audience, unless, of course, you're <laughs> you're kind of making your life a kind of work of art and broadcasting it for the world. Which some people do. You,
1: you're course. saying you don't have an audience in your. But there's a room? weird.
0: I hope not. I sure <laughs> hope not. But. I think there's a weird sensation that people have these days. It's a kind of, it's a, it's a relatively novel mindset where we tend to live as though we're performing in front of people or we tend to have an audience in mind. Social scientists and so, you know, sociologists have pointed to this now in recent years. That's a very unique frame of mind and that's, it's just worth, so I think that, that, that has a part to play here also yeah. where does but somebody like a, a, a mat the most powerful pop icon on the planet being a symbol of relatability and authenticity strikes me as pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna leave it at that for right now because i don't want swifties chasing me down the street but
1: oh goodness yeah well so here's where i see where i thought i saw this is a couple uh well, maybe it's more than a couple of years ago, like my late high school, early college years, you'd go to a youth conference or something or a camp, and there was this huge focus on authenticity. And what what that turned out to be is you'd get a bunch of young guys together, and then the leader would come in and basically Mm -hmm. share all his dirty laundry of his own life and be like, look, I'm just as messed up as you guys. Here's what I'm struggling with. And that was like, oh, this guy's really authentic and telling us the truth. And... What I quickly realized there is that authenticity then was becoming the goal, even within the church. So, what mm. we were missing was authenticity and holiness. And we used authenticity as a cover up for, um, and that's not to say that people shouldn't confess their sins and be honest about who they are, but we shouldn't say that just simply doing that is what makes you virtuous. And that to me seemed to be uh, a missing feature that I would say wasn't. Uh, not an authentic representation of what the church was about that was using authenticity sort of as a, uh, and maybe that's just my experience, but I think it wasn't. So all that to say the, the church has its own history here. I think when using authenticity as a um, a tool or an idol, perhaps.
0: Well, and to press into one of the thorny issues that you brought up earlier, you said, There's a press for us all to be unique, just like everybody else. Yeah, And I think there's the rub. So at the heart of, human I mean, imitation, emulating someone, is at the heart of human life. And just very briefly, to make a quick case for that, which I don't think will take a lot of work, human beings are inextricably relational. We come back to this point over and over again on Thinking Out Loud, but we have to stress it. Because by default, most of us tend to think very individualistically. And by the way, serious individualism is a key feature, I think, of the current discussion on authenticity. Because it's very much about you finding your path, your way, your church. And by the way, your church, in quotes, may not be an actual traditional church at all. Maybe, I've, I've heard plenty of people say, the gym is my church. This is my sanctuary. So that kind of thing. The forest. The forest, absolutely. I mean, em- and basically Emerson and Thoreau. I mean, this is this is in the DNA of America, so nothing new there. But the point is, we're going to follow somebody, we're going to emulate somebody. So what I want to suggest, Nathan, here, part of a tension that we're going to feel is that imitation is going to be totally and completely inevitable. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. also imitation obviously holy imitation is at the heart of christianity we Ooh, are on. to be imitators of jesus christ hang yeah, on you're they you're they said, beating me someplace
1: yeah right because there are three oh, no. definitions right, of authentic and i only gave you the first two so number 1 was real not false number 2 was being true to yourself or your you know personality character spirit or whatever number 3 is the less often used version of it but think about this this makes sense and fits exactly with what you're saying so the third definition of authentic is conforming to an original so as to reproduce essential features. That's a complicated way of saying something that. conforms to orig- conforms to an original so as to reproduce essential features. So what does it mean for something to be an authentic Van Gogh or an authentic Stradivarius right. or an authentic um, pick your architect or whatever artwork? Think of Mm. authenticity in that category, and now we're getting somewhere where maybe this becomes a useful phrase for the church and for what you were just getting ready to say about holiness.
0: Well, so think about that an authentic, an authentic Rubens or an authentic, yeah, Van Gogh. What the you know, this is, you set me up to make a little bit of a, you set me up for a kind of Jesus juke, Nathan. But I mean, usually how do we authenticate a a piece of artwork, a precious piece of artwork? Well, you have the signature. Well, Christian men and women, it's hard not to say this without without laughing, but we have have the signature of our Lord on our lives. Okay, that's a little bit too precious and a bit too cutesy, but it's true though. So, I mean, a mark of authenticity in, in this sense would be, men and women who faithfully lead their lives in the spirit in which Jesus Christ did. Now, I want to, I want if if you're okay with it, Nathan, let's linger here just for a second, because I want to make an important distinction. And this is a challenging point from, who would I quote here now? Who, who am I going to quote? Who do I quote so often on here? <laughs> I, I quoted Dallas Who's Willard the be? other day,
1: and it's somebody said that I was supposed to check with you first before I did that. That's all I'm saying.
0: How Dare you, I'm so glad that they brought that up because I was incensed, but <laughs> but I was gonna, yes, but I also gonna, told the, I also Willard. told the
1: people that if you ever quote my grandpa, I'm charging you two dollars, so I think we're even
0: there you go, absolutely yeah, we if we don't have Grandpa Rittenhouse and Dallas Willard show up in an episode, something's deeply wrong with the universe so Dallas Willard actually has a very helpful way of exploring this theme because he talks about he says first of all, Jesus was you know a carpenter and you know, Palestinian carpenter who lived, you know, 2000 years ago. So you can't be, I mean, imitating Christ doesn't mean trying to be exactly like him in every conceivable way. The phrase he uses, and it's a bit cumbersome, but I think it's helpful because he's trying to spell out a key distinction here. He says, you want to, or he said, use uses eye he language here, I want to lead my life the way Jesus Christ would lead it were he me so in other words you with your weird personality and your gifts and talents and your quirks leading your life under the empowerment of Jesus's spirit now obviously there's there are certain common features we follow Jesus's commands that sort of thing but this means that so I'm saying this because I'll do deference to authenticity here. This doesn't mean the, you know that your personality is ejected and you suddenly <laughs> become this sort of droning, blind, carbon copy of Christ. Such a thing wouldn't even be possible, by the way. Try it. But it means that you are still, you are you because the Lord made you. And to imitate Christ is to become what he made you to be. And yes, that is in conformity to his image, but that still honors your personality because your personality was, after all, was no accident and the Lord made you. So I I think we should explore that for just a a second. I've said enough to get us into some interesting territory there.
1: Let me introduce another vocabulary. All right, I'm going out on a limb here with a theory. I want to connect authenticity and righteousness. So let me begin my case. Somebody, I forget who it was, pointed this out to me that the primary way in which the word righteousness is used in the Bible, that a, a, a good functional general definition for righteousness is conformity to a standard. So if you think all the way back to covenants in the Old Testament, so God reveals himself, he sets out a, a stated order of being and a, a certain set of do's and don'ts and I- ideas for worship. And the degree to which someone conformed to that revelation is the degree to which they were considered righteous. So hmm. then you have, by the time you get along to Jesus and the hunger, the blessed are those, you know, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, seek first, um, you know, the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. That if you think of righteousness as a conformity to the standard, and you think of Christ as the standard to which we should be conformed, here's Romans 8. What we were predestined for that we be conformed to this image, um to the image of the sun, if you think of righteousness as conformity to a standard, and you think of authenticity as conforming to an original so as to reproduce essential features, then all of a sudden, being Christ-like does not mean walking in sandals everywhere because that's not an essential feature of what he was doing or teaching. Mm. It doesn't mean uh, crafting tables or building walls or whatever Jesus was doing as a carpenter. But if you're reproducing essential features, then when he says, be merciful, mm-hmm. forgive as your heavenly father has forgiven you, then all of a sudden, the things that he says become the essential features that we are to reproduce. And that is essentially what scripture is preserving for us, is the, the essential reproducible features that would mean us living authentic, and I'm using the word there in the third definition sense, and righteous using the biblical sense. Um so I don't know. What do you think about that? Is that shoehorning it in there, or is this just a nice parallel to say that actually the biblical use of authenticity is actually righteousness?
0: No, I think that sounds that sounds right. That's in, that's in line with what I was suggesting as well. So a good question, I think, to bear in mind nowadays is, who is it that you're imitating? Or what is it that you're imitating? So the irony, Nathan in so much of this is that when you go out into, I mean, in the pop, in popular culture, a lot of pictures of authenticity or images of authenticity are being sold to us. And so this is a vision. This is, this is a decidedly cynical vision of authenticity. So we're imitating some image that somebody is, that really is just a a source of, profit for somebody okay, yeah, else. But,
1: but what about when we like the imitation better? So um, General Tso's mm-hmm. chicken. Not an original Chinese dish. I like General Tso's chicken. I mean, and you can go right on down the list of like the knockoff version of things that aren't actually what they're advertised to be and we all know it, but we still like it. That's a thing.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, that's of course, a. it is. And I, I like General So's chicken too. <laughs> but I would say well obviously you look at you look at these things in terms of their you know it's well, I guess one thing they're not to trying enjoy, to be
1: authentic I guess a form of
0: no no I was going to say well it's one thing to enjoy certain food that is you know a cheap knockoff or an imitation or something like that it's another thing though when we this begins to encroach on our actual lifestyle or our actual you know our commitments or our matter for us matters of ultimate concern as I think that sociologists still use that phrase when they're talking about people's spiritual habits. So when these when these kinds of when this kind of marketing encroaches on our spiritual commitments, then I think we need to be very wary, but also to recognize the irony of that. So who is it? So I guess I'm I haven't I've left something unstated here Nathan, which I think I can add some clarity here. Christianity has a lot of things going against it in today's culture. It usually does. Christianity rarely fits in, and if you're a committed Christian, you'll see that that's probably a good thing because, as human beings, we tend to be incorrigible idolaters, and <laughs> we like stuff that's made in our own image.
1: <laughs> who was and it so that said, "If you're not conforming of a God to God, who somebody if 'If you're not conforming to a dysfunctional society, is that actually a problem?'
0: <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So the notion of Christ as Lord who exceeds all all your powers and your personal whims and fantasies. Yeah. That's a, that can be, that can be seen as problematic. So, but I think one of the, the many features that people don't like about Christianity is, is the notion that, Oh no, now you're attached to this dogmatic religion and you aren't, you're, yeah, you're absolutely not leading an authentic life because you're sacrificing some of your own. I mean, if you want to do that, that's great. I mean, if that fits with your, if it if it meets needs for you, absolutely. But if it stands in the way of some of your desires, if it thwarts your sexual appetites, that sort of thing, then it's harmful. And it's and it's getting in the way of your self-expression. So I think there's so I want to put that out there. That's a lot of people will see that. I mean, I've just voiced some central complaints against Christianity that you'll hear in every you know, just an everyday speech. So there's that. But once again, let me bring back in imitation. Is inevitable, so you you will. You know, Bob Dylan had the song. Everybody's you got to serve somebody, but you got you've got to imitate somebody too. That's not. There's no way to avoid that. So the question is, who or what are you imitating? And there, I think we can we can draw some clarity. If we're imitating a certain ideal or lifestyle or vision, that's really nothing more than a marketing campaign. There's an essential hollowness to it. There's an emptiness to it. If we're imitating an iconoclastic figure like Jesus Christ, yes, it's going to fly in the face of many of our desires. Yes, it will interfere. I always always liked how C.S. Lewis points out in Surprised by Joy that Jesus interferes with us, he intrudes on our lives. Yes, all that's true, but these are all marks of something bigger than us.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Someone bigger than us.
1: Well, so that is the fundamental distinction then. Um, also, just to mention, there's a pretty famous book by Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. So if you want a classic and spiritual formation, of course, yeah. the yeah. Imitation of Christ would be... Um, okay, so let's, let's just clarify what we're saying here for a second is that we're f- setting up a fundamental distinction between definition two and definition three of authentic. Definition two is being true to yourself and your own personality and your own character and your own spirit. And definition 3 is conforming to the pattern of an original and reproducing the essential features of that. So one of those is an internal standard. Definition 2, definition 3 is an external standard. So you can use authentic in both ways there, but what Cameron's laying out for us is just to say that that I think is the the fundamental divide that I sense of am I being conformed to my own image or am I being conformed to the image of Christ? And are we? The English language uses "authentic" for both of those, but if we want to truly make that distinction within the church, then we're, we might use a cheap f- form of "authentic" for definition two, but we're going to use "righteousness" for definition three. Actually, within a religious context. Mm. Um, so, but I, there's th- these are mutually exclusive. And so the the tension that Cameron's laying out for us there is necessarily there because they ultimate it has two different goals in mind and an entirely different set of means for reaching those goals. so that was just a complicated way of saying, duh, I think that this isn't going to work if you're pursuing one it's going to seem weird to the those who are pursuing uh the other
0: and let me just bring in one factor here that I think is really important as we we kind of draw, draw our remarks toward a kind of concluding point. But this is typical of, of us here on Thinking Out Loud. What I'm going to introduce opens up a new can of worms. But Charles Taylor brings in, I mean, he often points to the fact that, and I mean, there are a number of different precursors to this line of thinking. Freud would be a big one. But the notion that we have these vast inward depths and there's this great inward we have all of these inner riches that's a big assumption that most of us make now i want to i'm going to say i'm going to i'm going to agree with part of that by the way we do have every human being has inner riches in a manner of speaking not because you have some vast unplubbed subconscious full of hidden sexual you know desires and neuroses as as a freud would suggest or you know in the jungian sense you have all of these you know sort of archetypal spiritual skeletons in your closet something like that right we could get yeah we'll, we'll just bring jordan peterson on to spell that one out for you <laughs> but <laughs> rather because you're a spiritual creature so and that is that's why we i mean that's that's the wonder of human beings that's also the horror of human beings in some ways because we're we're capable of amazing things because we're made in God's image. We're also cap- capable of drastic things, terrible things as well because again, we have we have these amazing capacities. We're spiritual creatures. So there is this there there we have the inner riches in the sense that we are spiritual creatures. But may I suggest and for for those who are Christians this will be a truism in some ways, but for those who are on the fence or who aren't, or maybe flirting with some of the other stuff, we don't have sufficient inner resources to take care of ourselves. So mm-hmm. the thought that, and I'm just suggesting this to you, put this in your pipe and smoke it and think about it, or put it in your incense and you know light it up. But I'm just suggesting to you that, yes, you are a spiritual creature. So there's some, there, and that's an amazing feature of human life. And it can take you in some very strange directions if you channel this in the wrong way. I mean, this is behind the impulse to experiment with the occult. This is this is behind the impulse to adopt New Age practices. This is behind the impulse to experiment with psychedelic drugs. But, so, you are a spiritual creature because you were made by God for God. And you're also, you inhabit an, a spiritual world. And there are spiritual powers in this world. And there are dark spiritual powers in this world as well. So we want to be careful. The stakes are high.
1: There are authentic spiritual nevertheless, powers. Nevertheless,
0: even though you've got the – they are authentic. They are very real and they are very authentic. Well, they're authentic <laughs> in the sense that they're real. <laughs> yeah,
1: but since one.
0: But you don't have sufficient inner resources to take care of yourself completely. You're not a self-sufficient being. You can't. You cannot find fulfillment in and of yourself. That aspiration, again, that's just that's a basic form of idol- idolatry. God mm-hmm. alone is the self-sufficient, necessary being, and you're not a God. And at the heart of so much of this, by the way, is a kind of notion that you are some sort of, that you essentially, well, for better, I mean, for lack of a better term, we behave as though we are God and as though we're masters of our own destiny and in tro- in- in control of our lives and we rule everything, that won't work. And I think we see ample evidence that it doesn't work. Now, it doesn't stop it from being a huge temptation. It doesn't stop it from just making a lot of sense to people because that's the spiritual environment of our culture right now. But it's deeply misguided. And so I think my parting thought here, Nathan, is just that we are not self-sufficient. So we... We don't have sufficient inner resources to take care of ourselves.
1: Yeah. And I was just thinking there's an additional, like, okay, let's well, depressing, let's make it worse. Even if you can actualize within yourself the good that you ought to do, you often don't have the will or the power to actualize it. So it's not even finding the mm-hmm. resource within yourself to have the right idea, it's actually going ahead and doing it. And so that's why I think it's pretty important that we attach at the end here that. It is God who wills and works um, Philippian style that when we're we're talking about obedience and conformity to the image of Christ, that's not a self-actualization maneuver. That is uh, an act of God working on your life and in your life and through your life. So don't, don't hear us saying that because I think there is a Christian version, Cameron of the danger that you just outlined for us. Like, Oh, well Mm. I'm not doing yoga yoga to, you know, align my chakra and find my inner spiritual light, but maybe I'm on some something that parallels sort of like a self-help Christian discipleship formation sort of thing, which is basically the same thing, where you're where you are the primary agent in the action that's happening there, and that's not um, not how it works. So, I think a lot of people end up in bad spots when they just try to. Mm-hmm. take that that type of behavior and then just stick Christian language on it. So um, when it comes to being authentic and being fully human, uh, Colossians is a great book. Th- this idea of fullness pops up all over there. Um, or Jesus is teaching, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the fullest. Therein lies the goal of what we're after. Um, yeah, we're looking for something that's real. I, and I think there are authentic people. This is not an yeah, uh, I, you know, I was thinking of you know visiting my my grandfather on my mom's side shortly before he died, and I, I think I've told this story before. I walked in and I said, hey, "Hey, Grandpa, how are you doing?" And he said, "You know what you see is how I am." And I thought that's a good way to live. Um, if you can confidently say to people, "What you see is how I am," so there there is a realness to people, um, and I think we should encourage and champion and aspire to being people that don't have false pretense that. Um, aren't trying to put on a performance that are confident enough about um, the brokenness in our lives to share that, but also uh, excited about the goodness in our lives and we're willing to share that. I think there's an attractive quality and feature to that. Um, And so don't hear me poo-pooing definition one of the realness or the non-imitation side of authenticity. I think that's great. Uh, I think Cameron has outlined for us the dangers of authenticity definition two when you're trying to be true to yourself. And we've collectively pointed to that the biblical ideal ideal falls more in keeping with authenticity definition three, where we are um, conforming to an original and, uh, and replicating the features of that. And in doing so that's, I mean, what, what does Christ like mean? What does Christian like Christ? Right. And so there's an Hmm. authentic authenticity and a replication and a righteousness that's baked into pursuit of doing that. And so I think, where we're at, and hopefully, uh, Cameron and I, I think, speak pretty vulnerably about the things we don't know about and things we're trying to figure out and sort out. And so, thinking out loud's role here is not to say we're the experts, learn what we say. It's saying, hey, we're trying to grow and think and be formed in this direction. Come journey with us. We're pursuing righteousness here um, because it's a command of Christ. So, um, blessings to each of you as you listen to this, as you then try to figure out what that looks like in your lives. We're trying to sort that out ourselves and we appreciate uh, knowing that you're on the journey along with us. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope.
0: Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www. Dot t-o-l-together.com. That's t o l together.com And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help